and words. Banter, banter, banter. Banter, banter. Oh, my Really? You guys got nothing? All this time apart. And you got nothing. No, you know, no. Well, you you have been a ghost in our machine for so long. I know. It's like nothing ever changed. Now, Arthur, it's funny you say that because it is nice to actually get to see both of your faces. It's a wonderful feeling. I've been stuck in an afterlife where I can't touch anybody. Well, I, I had begun to convince myself that you were both uh, figments of my imagination, and I was just talking to my computer. Wouldn't that be Sundays. weird? Yeah. You know, I, I think I said in the banter at ending the last show, I was naming Whoopi Goldberg's character Ruby. It's Oda May. I don't think I... Where did you get Ruby? I don't know where I got Ruby. And I just went along with well, it. Well, I yeah. cut out that portion, I think. Oh, did you anyway? <laughs> so so there you go. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oda May. Oda May Brown, right? Where did you yes. get Ruby? Is that a character she's done in a different movie? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I have to look at her uh, character sheet, I She's guess. got a pretty extensive uh, filmography. Yeah, she yeah. Does. Right. She keeps loading up on charisma on her character you know, we, sheet. Uh, we talked about doing a uh, uh, Whoopi marathon sometime. Would we do both sister acts if we did Whoopi? Um, or we just I, do the first one? No, I anticipate we do the first one. What was I going to do? I mean, I would probably try to watch both of them. Filmography here. We were. I was thinking we could do uh, probably do Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh yeah, sure. We would do uh, the one you just said, Sister Act. Yeah, of course. I think we would do. I think Corinna, Corinna. Oh okay, and we would have done this one if we hadn't, you know, maybe crossed it off yeah. on its own. There's probably. not a lot where she's actually leading. There's Theodore Rex, which would be the buddy cop with the dinosaur. Oh of right that on. We would do. Yeah, yeah. Or Eddie, where she's the basketball with coach. the basketball coach. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be one of those. Two. Wow. Two great options, though. You know, huh? it's fictional because I think the Knicks win ball games in that one. Oh, and Eddie? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have a ton where she got to lead, though. I mean, there's a little period yeah, that, in the 90s. I'm looking hard for I hate to tell you that doesn't surprise me, but, but I'm not <laughs> seeing one. Yeah. Let's see. Command. F. Does she have a big enough role in. Um, yeah, there's nothing. In cr- Color Purple? Or is is, that is she the leader? Is I she, think she's I've never second. seen it. I think she's secondary to Oprah in that, but I could be wrong. Let's see what this... She's listed for Oh, she is the lead. That's right. Okay, never mind. I do have... Sealy? Sealy? Sealy. And see, I always get it confused because, you know, beloved Setha is the uh, main Mm. character. And I know there's a film of it, and I had sort of transposed the color purple onto my beloved in my brain. I had convinced myself it was more of an ego project than it was because I know Oprah, like, was the one that convinced Demi he should do it. Um, Or wait, no, I am thinking of beloved. Beloved's... Beloved. Yeah, beloved's the uh, Demi one. Yeah. See? Keep getting my wires crossed. Transposing in my brain. Accolades. Nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It failed to win any of them. Wow. Yikes. What was that year? Was that Dances with Wolves? That year was racist, it turns out. Mm, Like all the other years. Jeez. What year was this? Now, what are the years? Now, Dustin, you've asked an interesting question just now. Is there a year the Academy wasn't racist? No. Yeah, I don't don't know that... No. Crash is probably the most racist year, yeah, and also the most homophobic year Correct. at the same time, which is fun. Ghost competed with Dances with Wolves. There you go for best picture. Mm-hmm. It was the best picture nominee. Wow. wow, I mean, it's a solid movie. So. Ordinary people. Now, oh, wait, no, would it have been less racist for Ghost to win over Dances with Wolves? My instincts are yes, but there's also my thought is actually no. There's problems in both. <laughs> there, it's, it's a thoroughly problematic casting slash not casting as much that. as representation. Let's yeah. see. Go with me. All right. Color Purple went up against Out of Africa, The Kiss of the Spider Woman, Prizzy's Honor, and Witness. Oh, I like did, Witness. Didn't Out of Ooh. Africa win? Out of Africa won. Yeah. yeah. So that's weird. more racist. Yeah. What a weird, and weird then, year. Yeah. <laughs> God. Man. You know. You're Oliver Stone. You're probably hating that. Wait, never mind. What year was Platoon was the next year? Never mind. Witness, though. That was the Best Picture nominee. That's so strange. strange. We need to do Witness. 
Yeah. I just imagine a, a year like Witness, The Fugitive. That got a Best Picture nominee mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just can't imagine a action thriller winning getting not even winning getting nominated getting nominated right in this day and age yeah yeah what's the like maybe catch me if you can but that's like a comedy crime yeah. thriller and like still, there's a lot of family drama too exactly yeah yeah so well hey let's talk about 1990 i guess hello everybody and welcome again to the good trash honor cast we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film stays course we're so glad to be back in a physical room together you can tell by our lengthy banter even though we had trouble getting started um mm. i'm still dustin I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and banter finds a way. Yeah, banter does find a way. In case you're tuning into this show for the very first time, dear friends, um, this is a analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean we're going to spoil the ending, or the middle, or the beginning. Patrick Spacey dies. Ah! But that's probably not a spoiler. Um, nonetheless, uh, we will be doing that at the end of the show, and so what it looks like is this. We do a synopsis, spoiler-free. We do uh, thumbs-up, thumbs-down review, spoiler, very gentle. And then we do uh, a little exercise called Expanding the Syllabus, which is going to be a little bit more spoiler-ish, spoiler-esque, if you will. And then finally, we get down to business. You'll have music that tells you that we've gotten down to business and it'll involve our socks and then we get down to business and all spoiler bets are off you have been warned there you go dear friends um we did introduce ourselves i think yes yeah you did that we identified the disembodied voices speaking to your brain we got it i know it's weird we're doing the checklist uh because it's the the energy's all different it's it's so great though um arthur do you have a synopsis for us pal yes i do ghost a successful Wall Street baker named Sam Wheat and his significant other Molly are living their best life. They've recently renovated an old loft. Molly's art is taking off, and Sam is constantly working out new deals at work. However, during an evening walk home from the theater, uh, the couple are mugged. Following a tussle with the robbers, Sam is shot and killed. But Sam remains in ghost form and quickly discovers he has some unfinished business to resolve before he can truly move on. I don't know what's sexier, the pottery scene or that loft, am I right? That loft is <laughs> woof. That loft God, is great. God, that what thing a, has to be like five thousand a month. Is oh, dude, for sure. At least, yeah. Is Ghost responsible in nineteen ninety New York? Yeah, I mean, like. I can't imagine twenty, thirty years has made that much of a difference on uh, New York real estate. <laughs> I'm sure it was a, a nightmare even then. Yeah. Uh, is this movie responsible for HGTV and uh, DIY shows? Is the opening of I, I want the Ghost remake, but it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's just Demi and the... Oh, my love. They're just putting shiplack on the wall together. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you perfect. go. It's, there's something very sexy about these uh, attractive people hitting a wall with a sledgehammer. That's all. Yeah, for you sure, know. for sure. And it is one of the uh, sort of iconic sexy scenes, although you have to think about this. like It, it is it is um, sexy visually, but you have to think about it practically not sexy at all. Oh, you're talking about the pottery caked scene? Mud. Just caked oh, in yeah. mud. Yeah, this the is worst. awful. Of course, that's why they're... Um, and instantly, there's a cut in their entire But that's what clean. makes them such good actors. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is the difference between real life and movies. Is, uh, right. Anything that seems like it would be cool in Also, a movie. I'd be real upset if someone messed up my pottery that I'd shaped so nicely, and he yeah. just comes in like a dunce. It turns out, uh, real dunce work on his part. They were not supposed to break the pot. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. nice. that, that makes it better. Yeah. But I guess it is oddly phallic, and therefore, uh, visually, it mm-hmm. is hot. So. And quite yonic as well. Uh, uh, yeah. There's a lot going on in that scene. It's weird that... Uh, which Zucker? Any Zucker. Jerry. Jerry, thank you. It's weird that Jerry Zucker directed this, right? I don't know how much we're going to talk you mean about that. Famous director of Airplane. Yes, well, famous duo uh, of uh, Airplane uh, and the Naked Gun movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's got some producer credits on the scary movies, like famed 
parody artist uh, Jerry Zucker. Well, this is like a precursor to uh, all the all the '90s and aughts comedian directors doing, you know, Jay Roach and Adam Kay and all them doing weird <clears throat> yeah, Oscar movies. They're yeah, wow, you're absolutely right. This is kind of a, a moment that foretells that, isn't it? Huh. What a time to be alive. Well, Arthur said at the end of last week's episode, there's not a time other than 1990 this movie probably could have existed. Yeah. I think that's a fair argument. Uh, We've all seen this before, right? Yes. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, Do you want to start? Me? Yeah. Yeah. What do you you think? I'm Arthur, and I'll give my review now. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Arthur. Um, You know, I I really wasn't sure. I was telling Dustin, I think this maybe last week, we were talking off air before you joined us. Um, this is a movie I'd seen as a kid. I'd received it as a, a Christmas gift. I think McDonald's had sold these VHSs of different movies at a certain period, like in the early 90s, like 92, 93. Uh, and I received this as a Christmas gift from a friend of my mom's uh, who worked at the library uh, with her. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember seeing it as a kid, and I, I distinctly remember him training to take corporal or be able to move objects. Mm-hmm. I could remember that sequence specifically. Um, and so... Uh, I wasn't sure because as the older I got, I just kind of thought of it. Oh, it's the the lovey ghost movie, you know, like it, it something you know the way it's marketed, the kind of the way it's remembered, the Unchained Melody thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it has this kind of I think rep uh, as being a primarily a romance movie. So as I got older, as a you know tough little kid, I didn't want to watch the girly movie. Sure, you know, um, and so kind of coming into this, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it's really stuck with me in a way I wasn't anticipating. And I, I think it's pretty successful in, in a lot of regards. Uh, I, I think that the first 30 minutes of the movie feel very choppy and rushed. I, I, I think there's so much for them to try to do to establish essentially three relationships, Sam, Carl, Sam, Molly, and then their kind of trifecta as a group, um, which takes up that really that first act is them setting that up. And that has to be in place before they can go into the second act, which is where, you know, the, the, the meat of the story takes off as Sam and becomes the, the titular ghost. And so I think that first part feels so kind of rushed because they're trying to hit those because the Unchained Melody is like 15 minutes in. Like, yeah. it's quick. And kind of memory of that, you know, I think it's feels like it would be much later in the movie because that feels like a mid-act, yeah. second-act type of scene. It's a moment that I remembered but had remembered happening after he's dead. Yeah. I remembered it as a ghost moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there are so many of these kind of like romantic relationship beats they have to hit, but they hit them all so early that I think it kind of affects the pacing a bit. Uh, and I feel like there's about 20 to 30 minutes of this movie on the chopping room floor that you could insert back into the front to kind of mm. flesh that out better and maybe kind of tightening up the second and third acts. Um, outside of that, though, I, I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, obviously Swayze's super good. Uh, Whoopi's really good. Demi, obviously, you know, she doesn't have a lot to do here. Mm. Uh, I think one of the movie's biggest weaknesses. Yeah. And I think that's more just kind of material. Oh, oh that's what I meant. And yeah. I think if she, you know, if they'd been able to focus more on that relationship early on, it would have helped that case quite a bit. Mm. But when it really becomes Sam's movie, is he's just kind of, you know, walking around <laughs> doing stuff, uh, being a ghost, uh, is you know, there's not really much for her to do except be sad. Um, I, I think that's really the the biggest thing for me. I, I think there's a lot of nice foreshadowing of events from the kind of intertextuality of Macbeth mm. to just lines delivered early on by certain characters that really plant seeds that they, you know, make sense by the end that everything kind of ties together. Uh, so I, you know, I'm was surprised it's held up as well as it did. I, I think for the most part, it kind of surprised me how much I enjoyed it. I laughed quite a bit. 
I, I, I got a kick out of it. Keisha had never seen it, so we watched it together, and she really enjoyed it. Uh, so, I, you know, I think it's a solid little flick. I, I wasn't mad about it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to kind of be able to finally revisit it. it. It's fascinating to me that this was the juggernaut of 1990. Like, highest grossing film. $500 million. Six Oscar nominations, wins two. And, and that's the other thing. You know, we talk about being confused that an action movie was nominated, but a supernatural ghost movie, comedy? what Comedy, romance, romance tragedy. Yeah, was, this... It was the you know the highest grossing film, and those movies typically don't see Oscar mention, let alone you know yeah, movies, we, that's kind of shaking sh- it a little you know since they've expanded back to ten and things have you know s- switched up a bit, but still you know this movie comes out today yeah and it has the same reception. It, it would you know it'd be weird to see it as an Oscar picture. No, your uh, point totally stands because so, it exists outside of genre a little bit. Yeah, so it is an interesting piece in history i think and so that that makes it kind of a fascinating relic uh and i yeah i'd say a thumb up here all for right me. very good very good thank you for that arthur what do you say dalton what's your reaction to ghost uh, i mean my experience is similar to arthur's in that i don't think i've seen it uh except for the one time i saw it in you know adolescence uh with my my parents yeah. uh, i think i had to leave after the pottery scene for a little bit probably um but but otherwise that's <laughs> this is my memory is watching with my folks uh, so I, I remembered more of the haunting stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. We'll try to stay spoiler light, but I did remember a lot of the back half of this movie because mm-hmm. uh, there's some pretty intense images. I, I think it pivots to horror movies somewhat effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is, I think, this film's biggest strength and weakness, um, other than obviously the kind of Demi's character being a little underwritten. Um, I, I think the other thing that it both struggles with and succeeds with is tone management, right? I think this... This film tries out a lot of different tones, and I think many of them it does well. It just doesn't pivot from one tone to the other quite well, if that mm. makes sense. And th- that was something I, I kept thinking about watching it, other than uh, runtime. I am with you, Arthur. I think this feels a little long in the tooth. Mm. Uh, we got too much of Dead Swayze. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's just because I, I miss him now. But in 1990, I, I don't know. I feel like the the living sequences could stand to be longer. It feels like the movie is in a hurry to get yeah. to the premise. Um, because we then spend so much time as a ghost before anything really starts to happen. Um, or rather, I guess the film does find a way to introduce stakes and like um, a, a ticking clock to the narrative, but it really gives everybody a lot of time <laughs> with that ticking clock, even after yeah. it introduces it, which I don't know. They're just yeah. interesting choices, both in terms of pacing and tone, that I think kind of hamstring the movie a little bit. Um, also, the representation stuff, which... I'm sure we'll get to as we uh, we get into analysis later on in the show, but it sucks that uh, all the people of color in this movie have rap sheets, um, which, you know, it's New York, it's the 90s, it's not necessarily unrealistic, but it's also, uh, you know, stereotypical and, you know, small-minded in, in a lot of ways, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to Whoopi's role in this film, because uh, we're going to have to talk about it. I mean, it, it kind of is the crux of whether or not the film works, I think. Uh, that That is, I think, the yardstick by which this film succeeds or dies is... Uh, is Whoopi good enough to get past the, um, you know, tropiness of her role? Mm-hmm. I think she is. I think she's extremely good. I don't think the script does all that work for her. It does a little bit of it, but I think she does a, the it's lion's her. share of the work. Yeah. And Swayze, too. I think the two of them are great together. The two of yeah. them have more chemistry than Swayze and Demi. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're a blast together. And, and I think the film, 
I don't know. I, I like that he is a petulant little douchebag of a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that the movie necessarily rewards him for that behavior, but I think it is interesting for him to be unlikable for so long. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a fun choice. I also like that the bad guy is Alpha Michael Sarah. I know we talked about this off air yes, last <laughs> week, but he, yeah, he, he's sort of a beefcake Michael Sarah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love good. it. He's a, he was a stand-up comic totally uh, in his day. Yeah, yeah, he he was mostly a, a comedic performer. That's um, fun. It turns out, which I thought was a fun bit of background on him. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of moments in this film, and they don't all feel strung together in a way that you know leads to the most cohesive picture. But I again, it, it definitely feels like it comes from an older an older kind of movie making where there was more things being thrown at the wall. Yeah, and I, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot when we talk about films from this era that. The late 80s to the mid 90s, we kind of talk about is this era of studio filmmaking that is it's trying a lot of things. It's trying a lot of different hats because it's it's another one of those moments in American cinema history where uh, nobody really knows what the zeitgeist is just yet. Um, and I, I think that lends itself to some really interesting pictures. And this is this is one of them. Just again, as we've already said it kind of exists in a weird spot between genres because it's trying on so many different hats. And I, I think Zucker's experience as a comedic director helps some of those tonal shifts mm-hmm. more than I expected to. Um, and I think the sincerity lands in this film. And I, I think that's the other kind of, uh, you know, I've talked about the things that build this film up and I, I think it's heart is one of them. Uh, it, it does manage to sell the sincerity of its premise. Uh, and I appreciate that. I, I think that is kind of, kind of the magic trick at work in this movie. Um, and again, I, I don't want to say too much because uh, it's it's a I don't know how many people have seen this movie, right? I you know it's one of those films that's huge when it comes out, but I don't know how much cultural impact it has outside of parodying the pottery scene. You know what I mean? I don't I don't know that this is a film people are you know thinking about and writing about still. Um, I had no I wouldn't if you had asked me to guess like what are the the top ten films of nineteen ninety? I wouldn't have guessed this to be in the top ten. I'm top 20, sure. There's, I wouldn't have even imagined it'd be number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that speaks to just, uh, you know, the shifting nature of this uh, industry that makes art uh, or, you know, this industry that makes commercials that have moments that are artistic. Who can say? Um, Dustin, what do you think? Obviously, uh, would you take a you take a date to this? Was did your first wife go with you to this one? Um, my first wife did attend this film with me. Yeah, um, and uh, we had a good time. I mean, it's a good movie. I mean, it, it, it's fun. And I'm kidding. Uh, you were ten, right? Thereabouts. Did you see this later on? I, I saw it in the theater, I believe. Oh, fun. Even, okay. You know, because mm-hmm. they didn't care about rated R and that kind of stuff where I grew well, it's up. PG thirteen. Yeah, it? I think it's, so. Oh, is it thirteen? I thought it was an R. I did too at first, um, but I'd have to see a rating somewhere we'll follow probably IMDb that. will probably know yeah. um, but nonetheless uh, it is uh, a lot of fun and uh, I enjoy uh, the film and uh, actually me and my first wife did watch it uh, this, uh, this when I watched it for the show yeah. uh, so, <laughs> very, very clever thank um, you and uh, so you know we had a good time uh, watching the movie and what does it say I can't see PG-13 P- oh thank you very much I am in a strange angle um, in my nether world uh, between both places uh, unable to I see I thought you were going to say nether region for just a second no. oh, this movie wants you to think about your nether region that's um, for sure I thought about Patrick Swayze's nether regions much how can you not uh, uh, it's very tasteful though I can see why it's PG-13 like it, yeah. it manages to be sexy and still keep uh, I don't know a little bit of a Hollywood distance I do remember the first time I watched it it being very scary just just very very scary uh, and I have to say it remains pretty scary the hell ghosts are freaky yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan even though the animation itself is a little the special effects or whatever are a little hokey but the sound is you know how they did that 
Uh, no. They baby cries backwards and slowed down. Oh, my <laughs> word. Yeah, dude, in that That is the most awful thing ever. Well, children are terrifying. They are monsters. I've seen Eraserhead, which is this sort of weird spiritual cousin to this movie now um, because of that sound effect. Nonetheless, um, what would I say? I would say the performances are good. I like Tony Goldwyn. I like Tony Goldwyn as a bad guy. He's got a great moment in an episode of Dexter oh. where he plays Dexter's psychologist. Mm. That's at fun. one point, and uh, Tony Goldblum is an underused actor, I think, in many ways, and I, mm-hmm. I'm just I like him, and he's got charisma for days, and so he's good as a baddie here. Um, Swayze is a Swayze; he's doing a Swayzeist sort of performance there, and uh, nails it. Um, Demi Moore does a great job of playing the Verge of Tears. Um, always, she's just, so good at crying. Just forever. That's why she got the role. Yeah, yeah, she can cry out of either eye on command. Yes, and absolute professional. And so, yeah, I mean, she crushes that. I mean, I wish she had more to work with, but what she has, she does just fine. Um, and Whoopi is, of course, Whoopi, and uh, she has all the charisma to sort of carry on the problematic role in which she plays. And we'll talk more about that later. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's effective. I think it's romantic. I think it's funny when it needs to be funny. I think it's sad when it needs to be sad, and frightening when it needs to be frightening and uh yeah give me a glass window guillotine any day of the week and i'm gonna be freaked out and so well done an image that has been burned into my mind for decades now yeah it is a hell of a a moment every time i see a broken window i think about i need to be careful because i could get guillotined by this thing well and i don't know if arthur this was the moment you were thinking of but you mentioned that this film does a lot of really fun foreshadowing and teeing up moments there's a moment where uh, there's a big window or a mirror rather that they're uh, carrying through the apartment and i've definitely felt like that was a moment kind of foreshadowing the end of this film that is a real bravura (laughs) kind of uh, filmmaker Mm -hmm. moment and i wish there were more of them yeah that's that's part of the frustration of this movie right? right like when it looks cool it looks incredible but it looks boring a lot. Yeah. Uh, the thing with the angel is also very intense and another moment of very foreshadowing. evocative it's... imagery. I just love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want more of that. I want more of art school Zucker um, mm-hmm. is what I want in this movie. But that's just, that's me as well. But yeah, it works for me and I like it quite a bit. So there you go, dear listener. Our thoughts are generally pro regarding 1990's Ghost, um, starring a slew of Murder's Row actors and uh, directed by a less Murder's Row Zucker. Uh, that being said, let's do the thing, which uh, is analysis, and let's get into that a little bit with Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, can you explain what Expanding the Syllabus is all about? Yeah, so Expanding the Syllabus is a thought exercise where we're going to draw out a college course uh, based around the week texts. Uh, so this week uh, we're going to be talking uh, uh, syllabus is based around ghost. There you go, there you go. So Dalton, what does your syllabus look like regarding ghost? Well, you know, I wanted to play around with uh, movies about being dead for a little bit, but God, there's so many movies about being dead. I, You know, I, I thought, sure, it'll be, you know, a dozen or so. I just kept being able to list movies about being dead. Um, and they're just kind of too dis. dis- Disparate? There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, a through line is hard to find. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, there's some through lines there, and I could have like molded one, but I didn't really want to. Yeah, I wanted... Sunset Boulevard is doing something altogether different. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, The Seventh Seal is doing something different than Enter the Void, which is doing something different than The Crow, which is doing something different than Wrist Cutters, which is doing something similar but totally different from what dreams may come. And you're starting to see the problem here mm-hmm. now, right? So I decided to go with my what my gut instinct was. Uh, I, I didn't want to do this at first, but I decided to pivot backwards. It's a star study again, but it's not just a star study. It's also a gender study class. That's right. We're talking about Patrick Swayze and his, I would say, uh, formidable, iconic, 
and perhaps essential role in American masculinity, uh, particularly dudes on film. That's right. He's sensitive. He's in the gayest action movie of all time. Uh, and I think he he rewrote the playbook for what a uh, tough guy in Hollywood could be. Uh, you could make the same case for his uh, Point Break co-star Keanu. I think they both, um, you know, between uh, Swayze's run in the 90s uh, and Keanu's run in the 90s, of course, culminating in The Matrix, they kind of make the case for skinny guys as action heroes that Bruce Willis started just a few years before them. But I think they sort of pave the way for the super heroics that we are seeing uh, so often of the last decade or so. Uh, you don't need a beefcake to sell your action movie, and your beefcake is allowed to cry. Uh, your, spin- your skinny, spindly beefcakes can be sensitive, they can have emotions, uh, and your your leading men can have nuanced and varied careers. So we are going to focus on Swayze, and I think we will make Ghost kind of the... the uh, the linchpin, the the Ur Swayze moment, I guess, uh, because it, you know it's a moment that's kind of interesting in his filmography. He takes this film uh, after doing, uh, of course, uh, our favorite here at uh, Good Trash uh, Farms, uh, Roadhouse. Uh, and what was the other? He did another action movie right before that. I'm trying to remember. Red 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 Dawn. No, Red, Red Dawn's a little earlier. There's something I think in Red Dawn, like '86. Sounds right. It's not really important, though. He's got another, like, 88, 89 action movie. Uh, Next of Kin? I think it's Next of Kin, actually. Oh, yeah. right. Bofu. Yeah, I've never seen Next of Kin, but I think that's the one. Um, I watched it on a Joe Bob's Briggs at one time. That makes sense. fantastic. Well, he, again, obviously, he's starting to kind of be pigeonholed as an action guy, and he doesn't want that to be what his career becomes. So that's why he makes a point to do Ghost in 99 and really pursue the role, uh, pursue the project. Uh, and I, I think it is kind of... So important to his career, right? Because if there's no uh, ghost, there's no Tuong Fu, no question, right? Like, if Swayze gets cemented as an action guy, uh, he's not in Tuong Fu. Uh, and I, I think same for, for Wesley, right? Like, Wesley is doing so many action movies in the early 90s between, you know, Passenger 57. Uh, and again, you could just, I mean, you could just do a class on Tuong Fu. I, I know because we uh, argued for it <laughs> about a year ago now. But I, I think, you know, Ghost, Tuong Fu, of course, Roadhouse. Uh, these are kind of the in uh, Point Break. We're going to focus on these moments in cinema and kind of how they've impacted movies after them. So when we look at Point Break, we'll probably look at uh, Hot Fuzz and the way it plays around with Point Break's uh, legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think when we look at Ghost, we might look at the uh, there's an episode of Community that deals with uh, ghosting and how uh, uh, their pottery teacher hates it when people ghost. I think Tony Hale plays the pottery teacher in this episode, actually. Uh, it's a really fun episode, but it, it gets at how, like, don't don't make fun of this very sincere and sweet moment. Um, again, there's there's a couple other things we could look at, you know, some some uh, Drag Race, which I know we talked about when we uh, first watched Tu Wong Fu on the show. Yeah. But I think Tu Wong Fu is so important in terms of, like, paving the way for drag as a mainstream performance. Um and I think with Dirty Dancing, we'll probably look at uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Again, you know, that sort of the lift being a uh, iconic yeah. movie set piece yep. that that movie works with. So again, when we look at Swayze's career, we start to see like all of these movies are kind of cultural touchstones of mm-hmm. the late, you know, 20th century in American uh, movies, right? Yeah. Uh, Dirty Dancing, Big Moments, uh, Roadhouse, a lesser known film uh, outside of its just kind of meme cult status, but it's also got some kind of memorable quotes and moments. Uh, and again, Ghost just being this huge juggernaut in 1990, I think, does a lot for movies, but it does a lot for his career, and I think it does a lot for our, our study of him. You know, we'll, of course, talk about his uh, autobiographical details, you know, his time uh, 
uh, growing up in the world of dance, being a dancer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his, his physically abusive mom, which, you know, his, his widows talked about uh, a little bit in recent years. They did that documentary uh, uh, two years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, marking the, uh, you know, 10-year anniversary of his passing. And, uh, you know, they God, got into... It's been 10 years. It's been 12 years now. Wow. I know, right? It's weird. I remember that. Uh, that, was a, that was a big one. That was a big one that happened. I think uh, either just graduated high school or was about to whenever that happened. But yeah, that's a, that's a moment in pop culture that, or not even pop culture, just human history that kind of, it weighs because he's such a likable person. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Swayze would have had an old man action uh, phase like his contemporaries? Would he have had his own John Wick? He'd absolutely show up in the John Wick franchise, right? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know, because I don't know if he would do like more like a Clint Eastwood Bridges of Medicine County kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's what's like what's old man, man romantic. Uh, I'm trying to th- I mean, ro- what was he know? doing at the end of that run? I mean, he was doing what? Uh, he was doing not the... Um, he had a TV show where he, he was did like a, a detective, show. right? Yeah. That was like his I mean, last big thing, I think. I'm just thinking like show. this emotionally closed off guy who finds a way to love again would be yeah. sort of his the stereotype. The Beast, that's yeah. what it was. It was A&E yeah. original, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, maybe. I mean, I, I feel like he would have had, he probably would have showed up in The Expendables, mm, right? Yeah, and that feels that like sense. a thing he would have done. Sure, sure. He might have had a kind of a Burt Reynolds-y type career, you know? Spent a couple years doing TV and then pivoted or, back. Or after. he might have like, wound up working with, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and... And doing stuff with him. Could have been in the second season of True Detective. We'll never know. Yeah. Uh, great actor. Uh, colon cancer sucks. Or pancreatic. I can't remember. You know, both all of those of suck. It, I mean, it all sucks. sucks, but man, yeah. those two are real brutal. Uh, great actor. See, and apparently a great dude, by all accounts. You know, other than uh, uh, some yelling, apparently, on the set of Dirty Dancing and a couple of other times, he might have been a bit difficult. But uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, nice things to be said about Swayze. And again, I think the... Uh, the queering of the American uh, movie star, I, I think, is an important moment uh, in the 90s. And I think he has a lot to do with that. Uh, not just Point Break, but I think kind of the uh, the sensitivity uh, of the Swayze figure, I, I think, looms large in American movies. And I think we can have a lot of fun talking about that. Very cool, very cool. I like that syllabus a lot. What's your syllabus looking like there, Arthur? I am going to go back to that death thing Dalton was referencing. Referencing? Referencing. Referring to. Um, So this would be called Ghosts and the Stories We Tell Ourselves Life After (laughs) Death. Uh, And I I really think I could do a pretty good chunk of a course on this because I love ghosts. I love ghost mythos and thinking about that and unfinished business and being stuck to a, a certain clock, you know, having to appear at certain times or all that kind of mythology that's based you know and, and it holds pretty steady through most i think literature about um oh I, well i was just waiting for you to finish your thought because i was going to bring up something that doesn't really fit in analysis oh, okay. okay sorry but uh i guess i'm talking now so i guess i'll go ahead and do it but i was just thinking about you know ghost mythos and this is not an mm-hmm. analysis piece but it is weird how the mythology of ghostiness works in this film mm. and i just wanted to bring that up because is it unfinished business that keeps um, Patrick Swayze there, or does he just miss his train? A little column A, a little column B, I think. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't know if it's fate, or he just doesn't go when he's supposed to go, because he doesn't realize he's dead. And so it, it's weird how, you know, it. because, I mean, does the train man have unfinished business, or did he just miss his train? God, he's so good, isn't he? Yeah. It's a backstory for the train man in the Matrix, I think, in my own head. Hell yeah, I love that head cannon. Uh <laughs> I kind of want to guess the movies Arthur's going to pair with this, but I want to hear them instead. Yeah, go, go right ahead, though. But I just want to bring that up. It's like it, it is strangely like unfleshed out. Well, there. I think a lot of movies that do this, and I'm sure Arthur will touch on that, kind of keep it deliberately vague, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, and so this is actually going to be a multimedia course. I'm going to go across music, folk tales, TV, and, and film. Nice. Uh, and I will start with folk tales because I think back to the earliest ghost stories I read. I think about the ribbon uh, and the hitchhiker, mm. um, two tales of ghosts who don't realize that they're dead or recognize that or do recognize that and have to, you know, in the ribbon, the story, the, the woman knows what would happen if she is to take off the ribbon. So one would assume she's aware she's dead in some form. Uh, and, and so I think that's a fascinating tale, and the hitchhiker specifically, um, which is also referenced in the music I'll be talking about in bluegrass, because these folk tales find life in, in bluegrass music. Totally. Uh, and that would be Bringing Mary Home by the Country Gentleman, uh, which is that tale of the the man picking up a, a female hitchhiker, and then you know taking her home, leaves a coat or something, and finds out that she was dead all, all along, right? Mm-hmm. The, the dead hitchhiker. Uh, I think that kind of juxtaposed with the ribbon, these, these ghosts who seem to be stuck in a loop of, of some sort of, uh, is, you know, interesting as we think about, I think our own mortality and, and our own lives. And I think, you know, that that's kind of where we get hung up on some of this. Uh, I also want to do the, the song, the ghost of Eli Renfro, the Nashville bluegrass band, uh, which is about a, uh, the ghost of a murderer, uh, Cursing a town and coming out to haunt the the city, uh, which is just fun. That, that rules. Bluegrass is cool. Like Freddy if you've Kirker. never listened to bluegrass, the like, X Man or the Jazz Man, yeah, or whatever. Uh, I, I think bluegrass is just inf- infinitely interesting, especially this kind. Of, there's a lot of you know songs about murder and ghosts and, and the way that folklore has bled into bluegrass. Specifically. I love me some gothic country music. Yeah, yeah just a, I think it's interesting. A lot of interesting cultural exchange going on in you know the early 20th century yeah. in that part of America. Yeah, and there's a lot of obviously the the kind of ancestry from Ireland and those kind of West Africa too tales. Yeah, the banjo. I learned this recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. If you haven't listened, if you haven't seen country music, the Ken Burns documentary, it, it gets really into the, really? the origins of you know, country. I mean, as yeah. as all cultures came together and people borrowed from other people, or you know uh, how that all worked together, and it's really fascinating, dude. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, from there I want to move into TV and there's an episode of Supernatural, uh, where one of the secondary characters dies and becomes a ghost and has to do this thing where he learns to interact with the world like Swayze does. Tight. Which is, you know, really fun. Uh, so I, I'd go with that and it kind of picks up a lot of the same themes, I think. And I, I thought obviously so much of Beetlejuice when mm. this, you know, with this one, uh, I'll run on. Yeah. I, I think Beetlejuice kind of echoes that and what the Maitlands are going through. Uh, and then I would do ghost story. That's the one I thought about yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the way that film deals with you know grief and mortality and how we perceive that and how time just kind of moves in light of tragedy, I think is a really interesting juxtaposition to you know the, the ghost, the titular ghost in that film versus the the ghost of Ghost. There's a lot of ghosts going on. Yeah, it's uh, like it was really interesting. It's like if this ghost story, the one we're talking about from 1990, had no emotional catharsis. Yeah, <laughs> that's what ghost story. <laughs> is. Correct. Yeah, and a large pie being eaten whole. God, what a weird scene. <laughs> Truly, uh, one of the best moments of American movies. Yeah. And I think my next two films really echo back to, I think they pair well with with that idea of not being able to move on, but they pair well and echo back to those folklore tales. Mm. Uh, That is The Sixth Sense and Carnival of Souls, Mm -hmm. Uh, both about figures who don't recognize that they're dead or understand how to move on or or when they'll be ready to move on. And kind of question, I think, especially in The Sixth Sense, that idea of unfinished business, um, you know, and, and how the soul can be left behind if it doesn't connect those dots uh from there i want to get a little weirder uh kind of along the lines of ghost story i want to go with personal shopper 
nice. I think as well uh, with Kestu uh, trying to ghost chat with her her brother. Uh, and then finally, I put Ghost on here, but I meant to say Soul, uh, the, the newest film from Pixar, uh, which really kind of, as a you know, as a kids movie, there's not really anything in it for kids mm-hmm. other than it being animated. Um, this is a very existential, very heavy movie that does a lot of the same questioning. I think that some of these other films do. You know, what happens when we die? What is our purpose? And really emphasizes choosing to enjoy the little moments in life. Um, and I think some of that is, is there in Ghost, and so I think that's where I'd round out this course, but I, I, I love Ghosts, uh, and so I think this is a fun uh, way to set up a course, and really, I mean, you could do it in film, uh, you could do it in, you know, just a literature class, and even, you know, this is all American, we don't even get into international yeah. stories Yeah, Uncle Boonmi, who can recall so, his past lives, yeah. yeah. There's or Hasu, so... and... Yeah? Know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I, you know, I think this, this is just kind of a maybe birthed out of a just folklore class even. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's where I'd come at from it. The possibilities Very, are endless. Yeah, they really, really are. And, I mean, you can go into, like, just encounters with the devil, yeah. I mean, you know, which is another sort of spiritual entity. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, Coulter Wall, in terms of your bluegrass kind of music? He's mm. a contemporary musician. He's got a great oh, okay. song, yeah. The Devil Wears a Suit and Tie. Yeah. And oh, uh, it's sort of like a Devil Went Down to Georgia kind of song, yeah. but it's retold very, very bluegrassy kind that's of fun. thing. So, yeah, I'm into it. Very, very into it. So, um, what I want to do is talk about, we got to talk about Odomay Brown, guys. Um, I, I tease this. Uh, last time, but I yeah. guess it got cut, which is probably why, since I misnamed the character uh, of Odomay Brown. Um, but uh, there's a, a famous bit in, regarding animation, uh, and I, I guess I want to retell the story now because I do think it's good, uh, where Chris Rock is uh, doing an award show thing talking about uh, animation and opportunities for African-American actors. the year he hosts the Oscars, right? Uh, it might be the year he's hosting, yeah. Yeah, um, I think so. I'm not sure if he's hosting or if he's guesting in. Did he do one or two? I think he got two. He's done a few. I don't Chris recall. Rock? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done a couple, guy. at least. But um, yeah. he makes the statement. He says, you know, in animation, you know, if you're big, you can be small. If you're ugly, you can be pretty. And if you're black, you can be a donkey or a zebra. He was, of course, referencing his role in, in Madagascar, Madagascar and uh, the role of Eddie Murphy in Shrek. Which is why we talked about this last week. And Arthur's, you know, I'm, I know I mentioned this last week as well, but Arthur's uh, pick of soul plays into this, right? Right. Yeah. The conversation's expanded from that that Oscars joke, obviously, but it, you know the the problem exists and right. persists. And, and what it really comes down to in the case of Ghost is the, and I think this is the case a little bit with Eddie Murphy's character in Shrek, but less so. But the trope of the magical minority. And uh, so I think in a section there on film tropes, there may be a, a course on race and film, representation and film. I'm not sure where it would go, and of course it'd be a module, but just to talk about magical minorities. And so, I mean, I think the three big heavy hitters of recent years are obviously Ghost and Otome Brown, uh, the movie The Green Mile and John Coffey, and then The Legend of Bagger Vance and Will Smith. Um, because I think those, those are all of these, these, these black characters that show up who have sort of supernatural connectivity and they exist to uh, help a white person get their act together. And, uh, that is troubling. And this goes further back. I mean, we could look at, uh, the Lone Ranger in the original sort of uh, TV series. And of course, Johnny Depp's performance in uh, a movie that I still want to defend. And we ought to do on the show at some point, uh, the remake of the Lone Ranger, although now army hammer. So maybe not. Yeah. Um, I don't know, and also Johnny Depp, but but God, who's worse now at this? 
this point. I don't even know. All, so the Johnny Amber Heard things, like, uh, we don't even, I don't even know if I want to parse that I, I mean, I can't even go there. Lots but... of court-documented lies on both. Fuck it, it's weird. But yeah. also, uh, just imagine looking like Johnny Depp and insisting you're Cherokee. Yeah, well. I'm and... sure he's probably, who knows? I'm not going to impine the man's honor oh, as no, a liar dude. or a truth teller, but. We had plenty of people in Stillwell that were like, they'd be like one in five eighteenths or something. Well, you know, I'll get their point, card. But, but yeah, why? You're one of the biggest stars in the hall. Just step aside, bro. Let somebody else do it. Although, I, I mean, to be fair, I grew up in Southwest Oklahoma. Uh, the, the Kiowa Net Tribes National Complex is there where I grew up. And so I grew up with a lot of Kiowa students. And sure. they, I, they did teach me the Kiowa word for Cherokee. It's white people. Uh, moving right along. <laughs> that's that's fucking mean, and I like it. That's very interesting. <laughs> um, but Checks out. Eddie. Rivalries persist. <laughs> that is not my joke. I'm simply telling it secondhand. I neither yeah. endorse nor, you know... So, Thank I, you for sharing the knowledge. It was. It, I, I always find it very amusing. But you're right. It's an old trope, with, and I'm sure we'll maybe even crack this open more in the next segment, but it really is a factor of uh, Western storytelling. Right. Well, I mean, like it this goes... This idea that white people are uh, too tainted by all of their crimes to be connected to the spiritual world. And it very much goes back into old Anglo culture. Let's go to King Arthur, shall we? And the Druidic um, Merlin, who mm. is there to help the Anglo, you know... Uh, King Arthur find his way and figure out who he is and uh, get the girl and uh, you know solidify the Round Table in Camelot. So um, the, the the way in which it works um, is racialized in various forms and ways over the years. Yeah, and, it's almost like the the hippies on those two islands let everybody from the mainland murder them into not being hippies. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, so there is that whole thing. And so wrestling with that, exploring that, again, Bagger Vance, uh, again, John Coffey, uh, who is a weird sort of Jesus of Nazareth stand-in in The Green Mile, which is a fascinating film in a lot of ways. Sure. And, yeah. and then um, I think The Legend of Bagger Vance, because Bagger is not really of this world, right? Yeah, he's like a... Angel, right, or, or something, or a ghost, or, or, some, or yeah. something. I'm not sure what he is. And again, it's it's to help you know Randolph Juna find his true swing in in Matt Damon's character. And I, I think that really is sort of the apotheosis of that. But Tonto helping the Lone Ranger. Sure. You could find other examples. I mean, Weird Naked Indians in the Wayne's World uh, franchise. Cato and the Green Hornet. Right, yeah, and so there are a number of examples that we could sort of begin to play with in that particular module, but just the ways in which uh, American cinema um, and sort of Western storytelling makes use of those roles in such a way that they become just sort of uh, surrogates to help white people get what they want anyway, which, oh, yoinks, we should talk about that. So there you go, dear listener, your syllabus just got considerably longer. I think with that, though, it might be time to get down to business. Okay, do you want to talk about how movies used to be sexy first? Because that feels like a nice little... Let's let's bring sexy back. Let's, I think... It's an icebreaker before what, we get back into racism. What really stuck out to me was, you know, especially early on, uh, the film's avoidance of Demi Moore's figure and really emphasizing both Carl and... Sam's figure. I mean, we get a lot of until we get to Demi Moore's butt, but yeah, but which I think we that's never a see. Glancing thing. It's, I don't... it's all a hands on butt, shirt on butt situation. That's I think true. all of the sexy moments are completely the men. It that's true. I think yeah. the, the very... gaze is very on them. That's what I was about to say. It's got a very and it's balanced gaze, but it, you might you're right. It might even skew a little bit more, um, you know, male erotic. Uh, right. Well, it's... I mean, when they're tearing up and that lot and they've got their shirts up. off, and he's got that, you know, Everybody's Carl hot. has that eight pack and <laughs> uh, Swayze Swayze. 
uh, so Zucker uh, wasn't sure, speaking of Carl's shirtlessness, and that scene late in the film, uh, there's so many close-ups in there because they were like, they couldn't, the scene does not work in wides. Like, they, uh, Zucker decided he liked it because there's like this sort of uh, menace and uh, over-assumed familiarity with Carl losing his shirt, but also like in the wides, it was just too silly, I mm-hmm. guess, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the camera definitely does love those two bodies. Cameron loves them both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just thought that was an interesting kind of subversion of what you'd normally expect. And I think totally. in the type of movie like this, um, when you have, you know, a Demi Moore, because, you know, she's got a career kind of where she's probably been used numerous times you know, with the camera being gazy on her. And so to have the men kind of in that role is just kind of a, I think, subversion of 90s cinema in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, you could just look at Demi's career as far as like, because this makes her the highest paid actor in Hollywood for a while, or fa- highest paid female actor, we should clarify, in, in Hollywood for a while. Um, but her career in terms of like exerting control, I think, is really interesting. Whether it's this or Striptease or G.I. Jane, like there is a lot of interesting stuff that she is doing trying to... Um, find a way to navigate the fucked up mm-hmm. world that is Hollywood without being, you know, overtaken by its its misogyny. I think it's really interesting, just yeah. her career. Um, but yeah, I, Arthur, I think you're, I'm glad you mentioned it, because I don't know if we would have we've gotten into it. But well, yeah. there's a very intentional toning down of her sexuality, just the fact that her top yeah. button's buttoned almost always, yeah. you know, throughout the uh, second half of the film and whatnot, yeah. too, so... Yeah, and again, I think that the the one uh, sex scene that we have in this film, uh, you know, skews more erotic than hypersexual, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah. that's kind of a thin line to parse and sort of like the the Supreme Court argument. You can't really, I, I couldn't articulate the difference between the two, but I can point to examples. And I think this is a great example of allowing a a scene to stay erotic and romantic and, and keep all of the uh, the more prude audience members along for the ride, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's... I, movies just used to be hot, and it's weird that they're not anymore. It's weird that 9-11 took all the fucking out of American movies, is all I'm saying. I use the F word because uh, Saga, the comic book, Brian mm-hmm. K. Vaughn, mm-hmm. there's this really interesting, like, recurring... I haven't finished the series, but there's this recurring idea that uh, the opposite of war is fucking. I think that's very fun. That is interesting. Um, yeah, I, well, I think there's a philosophical argument to be made there, but I, I it's just weird how... Desexed superheroes made everything, um, especially considering that scene in Mallrats where uh, Brody can't stop asking about the things thing. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank Fair you. enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is there anything more than that other than uh, the war on terror? Uh, made America not want to have sex. For sure, for sure. And I mean, the weird way in which, you know, sexuality sort of finds its way in, like, it, it, there's so much additional, like, mental work that has to be done to even have it there. I mean, we, there's been much made of that last scene in end, or towards the end's moment, just a line delivery in the end of Endgame where Captain Marvel says, hey, Peter Parker... And uh, and that'll drop people's underwear these days. Yeah, right. Yeah. And th- th- that's my point. Is like it, th- 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 there is definitely uh, something flirty in that. I line. mean, don't get me wrong. Step on me, but yeah, you're right. It's absolutely that that that's it. That's, that's the it. line. Yeah, it's we, you're right. Big meme that one. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, I, I think something has definitely changed uh, there regarding that. Um, shall we talk about, um, the afterlife a little bit here, um, and just, uh, why it is that people stay. So do only people stay who are going to the good place? 
in this world. Um, it seems like the bad place doesn't miss you. Um, it collects pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. And That's interesting. It collects somewhat violently. So the only yeah. people that are remainders are people who are going to the good place but miss their boat. It's hard to say because we really don't get a lot of... Yeah. Because we see in the hospital one person gets to go into the light. Mm-hmm. And then we have the old man waiting for his wife. The old man goes waiting for his wife right. to cross over. Mm-hmm. Train guy who was murdered, maybe. Yeah. Well, and then... Train man. I think that's just what he's called, too. His train man. Uh, yeah. Oh, in the subway. Uh, right. God, what's that actor's name? I just looked he's, it up. And yeah, yeah. I, he's great. He's in everything. Yeah, he's in Batman Returns. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then we get the, uh, obviously, the two bad guys here mm-hmm. both get dragged yeah, away Willie by the ghosts pretty quickly. And Carl both, yeah. yeah well, and dispatched with, yeah. Yeah, them, but also I think that the most ghosts we get is Oda May's new extended clientele, mm-hmm. right? After she becomes yeah. a real medium. All the ghosts come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the, the one. Mo- I do like that this movie is just like, no, ghosts are everywhere. Right. They're just everywhere all the time, and you're just ignoring them. And I think that's kind of a fun yeah. internal but mythology. I, I do like the idea of them only being, you know, possibly benevolent or at least, you know, again, on their way to the good place. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's an interesting sort of dynamic that I would like to see played more with. You know, ghosts are not these sort of evil, you know, malevolent spirits haunting the world, but rather they're the, yeah. the good folks who simply just miss their boat. Yeah. And the train yeah. man is the only, like, pure poltergeist we get and, even and he's, he's just more of an alpha he just he, he yeah. wants to be left alone like yeah. he's not even like he's not hurting anybody he's emotionally disturbed right and you know he, he just, might knock a newspaper out every once in a while but that's it even then he's understanding because once Swayze tells him what he's up to he's not once he realizes he's not encroaching his territory anymore he's that's he's cool he well, does it, ghost like, mr miyagi him pretty quick yeah and it, he is also mentally ill because he forgets who he is and you know oh, yeah. right and it's like why are you here why are you talking to me yeah. and so i mean there's a way in which any of his negative traits are sort of explainable or at least understandable yeah. there's an empathy i think that mm. we're given as an audience totally to say oh well no wonder buddy i'm well, sorry there's, well, there's, there's, oh go ahead well as you're saying there's a really interesting in in supernatural this becomes a thing that the longer a ghost is a ghost, the more tormented their soul becomes. Well, I was just about to bring and that, that up. That kind of where the train man might fall is like, who knows how long he has been a ghost? Totally. That internal, you know, that endlessness might just rot away at his soul. Yeah, it's it's I think vague in a really cool way as to whether or not this is a feature that's carried over from his living life, or yeah, as you said, like he's just been unmoored by time not meaning anything. I think it's interesting also that these, you know, typically ghosts are tied to a location or, or and traditionally, and I think a lot of literature, they're tied mm. to a location or maybe an object. But all of the ghosts here seem <laughs> free range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, you know, lack of a better term, they can kind of go wherever they want and exist in a way that they're not hindered by that. They yeah. can do anything. That's and do they all have an opportunity to reopen the light then is the next question. So that's what happens when he sort of solves his murder and gets justice against his murderer. Then um, he's now available to go back uh, up the light train into the uh, afterlife. Is that the case then for all of these ghosts, that they have to do some sort of great good in general? Or is it simply solving their own mystery, their, yeah. Yeah, their business? Mm-hmm. And you know what is what is it that one needs to do? And if one stays so long, then the, does Earth become their hell? Right? Yeah. yeah. Defending your life was one of the films about dying or being dead that I wrote down. Have you guys mm. seen this one? The I don't think so. Albert Brooks movie with Meryl Streep. <sighs> yeah, I, I'm think from yeah. Here. It's real proto the Good Place type stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is just about yeah. uh, angels question mark uh watching moments from your life and telling you whether or not you sucked or not uh it's a good movie it's it's, you know it's charming but i i I think it is interesting that so much of our our focus on stories about death and dying are centered on uh, closure 
mm-hmm. right? And of, of course they would be, uh, because th- that is the thing that is scary about our, our mortality is the the idea of getting a. Uh, iced uh, by the universe before you have a chance to, to finish all your business. your business. Exactly. Wh- which all of us will do. Oh, absolutely. All of us will die with unfinished business. Yeah. You know, that is the fear, right? Yeah. Oh, that is the nature of being alive, Human I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, but it's interesting that that's our focus, right? Is do you get to put a bow on every part of your life and also do you get to uh, be rewarded in some way for a life, right? And I, the film doesn't get into that too much. It is kind of more concerned with punishment for deeds done on Earth as opposed to uh, reward for clothes. I guess I guess the, the reward is implied, right, by right. being at peace with death. And I think that's yeah. kind of the thing that's interesting in this film is it's not necessarily a reward for being a good person. It's a reward for being at peace with your mortality. I guess, I yeah. interesting. But I wonder if Lorenzo would not get the light back up if he tells his wife where the money is. Right, like, yeah. like, like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. at least her question, right? Yeah. But is it, is it his question? Is that his yeah resolution? Right. God, I forgot yeah. about that bit. Uh, also, what that's did you true. do with your hair? Right. <laughs> God, what a funny bit. <laughs> and also, what a great what great economy of storytelling to introduce the idea that uh, possessing somebody takes all your ghost juice away about. Oh, 25 minutes before we need to know that information for the plot. Right. That's just a convenient scene, and I appreciate it. I thought a lot about. Us as an audience not getting to see Demi Moore dancing with Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg instead, yeah. yeah. Uh, Which I think is a much more interesting. Early draft of the screenplay. Is that what? Uh, they pumped. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a little, uh, there's a little Ghost three way, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine style uh, in the original draft of Ghost, which I think is interesting. Probably a good call to lose it, well, but I, mean, I think it's interesting. It definitely would have the... been detrimental to the film's success. Yeah, it makes the driven eighties was probably for the best. Yeah, it definitely makes some of the uh, the trope problems we're going to talk about here in a second worse. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, uh, without question, uh, or maybe better. Probably worse. Probably worse. But I mean, I, I, an international lesbian sex scene is kind of brave. <laughs> yeah, does it change the course of American movies? Probably not, but we can we can live in a pretend world for now. Yeah. Um I think it's Zucker was the one that was like absolutely not. And the yes. writer was like, "Okay, you're right. I'm so sorry." Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I is there anything else you want to say about the ghost rules of this or just no, like I, I, the I, idea I, of ghosts the idea of stories about being dead? Right. Yeah. I mean, is uh, thinking about just the logics of this, you know, as opposed to sort of, you know, haunting, sort of ongoing guilt, you know, those kinds yeah. of things. Well, I was looking at my, you know, some of the other movies here, you know, Beetlejuice, the Maitlands seem to just kind of live in harmony uh, with the Deets or whoever's in the house. Yeah. There is no moving on for them. Yeah. And same with Ghost Story. I mean, you're just there. Right. Right. God. Until you're not, because the ghost across the way from him disappears, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't remember. Or do, I thought it was the ghost across the way. Oh, fuck. Oh, man, yeah, there's a lot of time loops <laughs> in that movie. It is kind of hard to... Re- the last 20 minutes of that movie are sort of trippy. Yeah, it's hard to remember. Yeah, and he, but the sixth sense, you know, we get some some peace. Yeah, does Bruce Carnival of Souls, get I think, some release. Okay, so. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Uh, when you brought up sixth sense, I was actually trying to remember, and I couldn't. If When he finds out he's a ghost, he, he gets to... I think at whatever. the end of the story he gets to move on. I think so. It seems that there's a the fade to white seems yeah. to be the indication mm-hmm. that you've gone on. I think if we want to kind of look at the I don't know about theology, but at the very least the mysticism of the film Ghost, I do like the idea that uh, uh, purgatory is a place that exists in the here and now, which I think mm-hmm. is a fun and interesting idea to play around with, just in terms of. You know, any story. Jacob, Jacob's Ladder has that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to say. It's only those going to the good place get purgatory. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Everybody else gets the express elevator yeah, yeah, straight down. Right on to the Inferno. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, yeah, scary ghosts, man. Boy, are the, boy, are the, uh, the the hell minions freaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I think the rotoscoping holds up a little bit. I just like because they choose to animate them as living shadows. It kind of works that they're a little jerky. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what next? What do you want to cover? Oh, well, let's talk about Odame. Yeah, we don't want to end we? there, so let's talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, obviously, Odame Brown uh, is this character who is uh, problematic. She has a rap sheet. I'm the same with Willie Lopez, you know, so there's a sort of stereotyping at work there that Dalton has already named. But just this, again, use of this character that when Patrick Swayze sees that she's there, he uses her for whatever he can to get, you know... He bullies her bullies into her. helping him. By yeah, steal by sleep depriving her, which is a form of torture. He, singing the Henry VIII song, which is a funny bit, but also he's poltergeisting her for sure, and yeah. not in a fun way. No. Well, it's interesting because I think typically, you know, you know, he approaches her, mm-hmm. and she is, you know, a bit. I mean, obviously reluctant too. Because she doesn't believe in any of this. She's kind of got the hero's journey uh, of the film, yeah. right? She's the one that has a call that she rejects and, you know, eventually takes on, has to go on a journey. Like, Swayze's thing is just about getting closure. She does kind of right. have an interesting arc as a character. Mm. I think a- it would just as opposed to, to like a bagger Vance showing yeah. up yep, yep, and like, yep. I'm here to help the you. The wise sage type role. Right. She's this- pulled into this since she doesn't want any hand of it at all. Yeah, you white people don't have any soul, so I'm going to yeah. give you some soul in your life, yeah. right? Well, and there is some. I, it's hard to say because it's the 1990s and uh, you can never tell. And also there's so many damn white people that made this movie. Uh, but it is fun that she clowns on him, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun that she makes f- fun of him and his... Uh, uh, what's what's the way I want to put this? Uh, well, his his white entitlement, uh, for lack of a better way. To, I, I mean, that's probably the best way to put it. I mean, mm-hmm. she just is dunking on him constantly even after she agrees to help him because she is so annoyed with how particular he is mm-hmm. about getting help, uh, which I think is really interesting. Well, and I, I do a dynamic, find it I mean. troubling, though, just um, Otome's ridiculousness um, being sort of hyper-blackness, right? You know, you know um, the you're church, in terrible danger. Girl, you in danger. The church outfit to go to the bank. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that kind of stuff is a, a little much. I just... That's a whoopee, though, right? It's hard to say, right? How much of that is our cultural um, impression of whoopee because of her career and how much of that is just... A lot of bad choice, a lot of not great choices leading to kind of yeah. bad taste. Yeah, right. That I guess is what I mean. Because I, I think any one of these in isolation would probably not hurt the movie as much as the totality of all these kind of troubled choices. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right to point that out. And again, she, uh, both in terms of just her skill as an actor and her skill as a uh, comedic performer. Too. I mean, the, the, she threads that needle very well. Mm-hmm. Like, Otome has levels. And I, I think that, that her performance shines through so much of that because Whoopi has those levels, right? It's not just bits, it's not just shtick. Like, there is, like, the scene with the, on, uh, with her and, um, what is Demi Moore's character's name? Molly. Thank Molly. you. Her and Molly on opposite sides of the door towards the end. Like, that's great. That scene has got pathos and heart. Like, a, a lot of her, her uh, their scenes together, Demi and Whoopi's scenes, like work and land really well. Mm-hmm. And again, I think her and Swayze have fun banter. Um, like there is com- there's comedy in the film that is not derived from pointing out Otome's blackness, right? right? But there is a lot of jokes that that is the joke. Well, yeah, I, I think about like Sister Act, which would be an, an interesting point of comparison. You know, sure. she's, a, she's a Las Vegas showgirl is uh, her living, and mm. so a lot of it's sort of class and just sort of cultural mm. kind of 
in in, in a yeah. very broadly generic kind of way, but at moments in Sister Act, you know, the the fact that she's the only sister, you know, is a thing that plays, you mm-hmm. know, and so yeah. you know, I I I, I don't want to just sort of like you know uh, blanket accuse yeah. um, the film, but I I just I find a little bit of that uh, to be a little bit much, you know, it's, it's a spice, not an ingredient. Yeah, is right? the problem that Oda May doesn't really. The only arc we get out of her is going from being a phony to being the real deal. Mm-hmm. But we don't, like... And maybe it's because the movie has such a rushed 90s ending. Like, at the end of this movie, Oda May and Molly are just in an apartment with a dead body. Mm-hmm. What? What do they do about that? Right. <laughs> I guess get they call the... the <laughs> yeah, do they film in Louise it after that? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? So yeah, I, I think that that might be both in terms of like the movie's inability to have a real ending mm-hmm. uh, and its inability to give her its inability to concentrate on her interior life for more than a scene at a time, I think is really what kind of brings it down. Yeah. So, so here's the question, though, about, you know, the, the trope and then we'll we'll set it to bed. And I think Whoopi Goldberg is a great place to begin and end with it is the Cause she's uh, had to play this character so many times. Right. The non sticky version of this, which is Guinan in the Star Trek Next Generation yeah. series, gotcha. yeah. where she lacks all of the sort of ridiculous comedic, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy is donkey kind of bits. Although, again, Eddie Murphy is providing a lot of guidance to Shrek. You know, she simply does do this bit of guidance. She's playing the high-status character or the, the straight person in a lot of those scenes, right? Right. And, and I, have, I don't, haven't seen a ton of TNG, but I recall her character because she stands out. I mean, her right. scenes yeah. are always kind of philosophically interesting. Usually. Right, and she's always one with the right word at the right time for a white character. Yeah. You know, in there. It, it, is it worse that it is um, deracialized? In that sense. And that's the interesting thing, right? And that's why I mentioned uh, so much of the humor is Whoopi pointing out Patrick's whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. It, the film wears both pairs of shoes fairly often. And I guess what what is worse, you know, erasing Whoopi's identity uh, or highlighting it? The three of us are not going to be able to answer that today. No. But I think that that's the question at the end of the day. When you're when you're teasing apart a really, like, tropey character like this, I think that's what you have, have to try to ask and answer is is the character itself able to flourish outside of that trope right or is is the deployment of the trope used to uh, build that character up as opposed to paper over the cracks right and again then to which we cannot answer no you know in any satisfactory kind of way yeah um all right so um are yuppies evil yes moving right along um <laughs> Yes, you can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Swayze's. Look, you want to feel bad for him, but also he's doing a bad job anyway. Uh, this is why your friend betrayed you, because these are the kind of friends you make when you were in that line of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the way in which we see that is the elevator scene. Go ahead. Right, uh, which is a uh, joke that does not land in the era of the pandemic. Let me tell you right now, when. Uh, Carl yeah, is coughing dude. and the ishing and the rashing and <laughs> oh all the stuff God. on his genitals and I mean it's it's still hilarious but it's also like it, it's a new level of wrongness yeah and it's uh, mean yeah it is yeah. it is just cruel terrorizing people. And, and finding cruelty to be funny is they're white frat guys yeah they really are yeah in the worst way no so going back speaking of Carl and, and the, the Wall Street stuff the the yeah. thing I was thinking of foreshadowing. Is they say something to the extent of you know Carl's always thinking about the money. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like the first scene we have with him, which That's is right. you know. That's great. Yeah, I miss that line. That's good yeah. stuff. There's, there's something to that extent though, but essentially connecting him with greed, and it starts to pr- immediately. 
well, that scene where he's like, hey, can I borrow your pin number or whatever? It's like, God, it really does lay it out that obvious, huh? He mm-hmm. just trusts that guy blindly. Well, they're best friends, you know? Well, and I think that's the... Be careful who your friends are, I guess. I am. Yeah. I'm, right. not, I'm not giving either of you my pin number. <laughs> <laughs> and there is something weirdly fratty, even out of Patrick Swayze's mouth. You know, he sees his uh, uh, assistant and he, you know, immediately sort of sexualizes her and comments yep. on her yeah. dress, right? Yeah. And so, you know, there there's something really troubling there. And uh, it is fun that the movie kind of knows there's something wrong with this. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't do much with sort of uh, white feminism with this sort of uh, art gallery, you know, uh, character like Molly, um, because she needs to be more sympathetic there. But I just, you know, I'm throwing out a little bit that there's some class dialogue that's ignored or class dialogue that could happen here that are fairly interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think... I think the movie is lesser for not having that class dialogue. Mm-hmm. Really, it is. Uh, especially, I mean, we've already talked about Willie and Oda May, but that component of it makes it even more interesting, right? Because when we start thinking about uh, the gender questions of uh, Swayze's... What is his name? Sam? Sam Wheat. such uninteresting character. Sam, Carl, Molly. Sam, Carl, Molly. Oda May. And not only that, it's Sam Wheat. I mean, how much more <laughs> Iowa May. can you yeah. get? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we learn that Sam has been murdered, right? It was a hit. But in that scene, Sam gets himself killed. Before we have the knowledge that this is a murder, that is a moment where Sam gets himself killed by being a dipshit. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, you know... Complying. Complying with a mugging and going on with his life. He has to prove something to, Debbie not Molly, man. to himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that that is an interesting moment. And I like that the moment lands that way in the film. It does not land as a moment of heroism. It lands as a moment of dipshittery. Right. Uh, especially when he chases after. He's so busy chasing after this guy. He doesn't even realize he's been murdered. Yeah. And I love that moment. It does land. And I think it kind of... It puts a button on the first act of the movie and, you know, in this kind of fratty behavior we're talking about, it leads, being that kind of guy leads to him getting shot in mm-hmm. an alley. And that's what right. happens. Because all they want to do is mug him and get the pin number so they could steal the money. But, yeah. yeah. Anyway. A lot shorter movie, though, in that case. A lot shorter movie. Wait, so wait, was he not supposed to be? I forget the, the No, the Willie's not supposed to kill him because there's a conversation right. he has with Carl. Like, you were just supposed to get the wallet. That's like, yeah, right. I know, and I'm not even charging you extra for killing the guy, you know. I forgot <laughs> about that. <laughs> It is weird how long the last 20 minutes of this movie drags, yeah. though. Right? Like, yeah. it just feels like it runs out of steam f- for some reason. Yeah. And, well, and- I think it's too much of him just wandering around as a ghost without much purpose in the story. You know, I think you could yeah. tighten up some stuff in there. Yeah, I don't know if it's... He should... Maybe you're right that you talked about kind of rearranging the film. And I think I think it mostly works on its own terms. But I think you're right. If we get maybe the the poltergeist montage or, like, or training montage earlier on, mm-hmm. I know it, like him being able to move stuff prevents a lot of problems uh, or him being able to move stuff would have made the movie shorter <laughs> in th- a lot of ways. But like, I think, I think your, it's a problem. Yeah. I think to your point, you, you mentioned like how the, the, the film introduces a scene to introduce a nice idea for later in kind mm-hmm. of planting those Chekhov's guns in a lot of way with Otome Brown, but also with that train ghost, right? Like yeah. it introduces the train ghost so we can later come back to the train ghost to see how he can interact with physical objects. Yeah. And I don't think you need, that set up every t- for every minor plot beat. I don't think you need a setup and a payout. I think you just move into that. Yeah, as a screenwriting implement, I appreciate it. Right, yeah. like I, I appreciate not everything feeling like a contrivance. Things are just things happen and then they wrap back around, and that, that's nice. But yeah, I think you're right. You don't need it for everything, and you can afford to put some things closer together. Yeah. for economy of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think that there's a two hour version of this movie that's still great. I just think that the, you, its focuses on other things. Yep. 
right? For sure. Uh, did you guys know there's a remake of this? I think you did, Arthur. I think I saw you looking at it before what? we got started. Well, I saw there's a, there's a what, a Chinese? Japanese. Japanese. And yeah. then there's a uh, Bollywood. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, there's an Indian remake as well. Which is funny because I was I, when I was reading that, I was thinking about how many times people complain about like, when we adapt a international film, but no, I mean, this happens every. It happens to us all the time. Oh, yeah. No one ever says anything. We always do it. Yeah, it's just but everybody's doing it. The nature but of the... somehow American cinema is the, <laughs> the bad guy for. Well, I think it's I mean, probably because we have the history of taking over colonization. stuff. Probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that might be the problem. But, but there's this policy that we've put in place over the centuries. I think it's yeah. just funny. It is. I wonder though if I wonder if like in international cinema, if like there are people in Japan or China, and it's like oh, God. Okay. Why don't we just make our own movies? Why are we taking this American? I'm sure <laughs> the original's so good. Well, I mean, that's how <laughs> there's uh, somebody really angry in Asia. Film right studies that... started in France because of this, right? Because the French were just yeah. making riffs on American yeah. movies. So I think you're absolutely right. There is yeah. probably some. I'd love uh, to think about yeah. those those conversations that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. still kid, you know, going, yeah. "Man, I tell you what, I'm gonna make my yeah. own movies." Some yeah. real uh, film centric otaku sitting in his Discord server complaining uh, <laughs> about American cinema. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. All right. Well, are there any other major thoughts on Ghost before we render a verdict? Uh, okay. So, shall it go to the good place or the bad place? Uh, what do we say with Ghost, Arthur? I, I think I am going to very, very lightly place this on top of the trash can. I think this is a great <gasps> Sunday afternoon movie. Um, but you don't have to see it. And that's where I land. Wow. All right. Well, what do you say, Dalton? I think it is truly maybe the most 1990 film that could ever exist for all of the reasons we've discussed, both in terms of its 80s hangover qualities, in terms of the uh, uh, professions of some of the lead characters, uh, in terms of its, uh, its sort of uh, troubled racial politics, uh, its, its, and yet its clear-eyed view of certain issues. I, I think it, it very much is a movie of its time, for better and worse, and I, I think that conversation is worthwhile. Again, I think all three of these actors become... Huge. I mean, they have really interesting careers. Uh, Whoopi, Demi, and, and Patrick, I think, all have really interesting careers. Uh, and I think as a nexus point for their three careers, I think it's super useful. And again, I think it's fun. I think Arthur's right. Like, it is mostly a, a Sunday afternoon movie. Like, there is a reason this movie made $500 million and then just kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't stick in the, the, the teeth quite as much as it could. But I think there's a lot to like. Uh, and yet it is sort of inoffensive in that way that, many Hollywood movies are, and I don't mean that in a good way. So I'm going to lightly shelf it, but I, I think it is mostly for reputation and for when something becomes a meme, I think the the original text has to be preserved in some capacity, right? And I, Absolutely. I think that's, for, if nothing else, but to explain the pottery jokes, I think we have to keep Ghost. Very good, very good. I'm also going to say shelf because I think it's so watchable. I think it's just absolutely very, very fun to watch. I mean, yes, there are troubles and there are problems and they are worth thinking about and wrestling with, but it is it is a very, very watchable film. And alongside a film of the same moment, uh, The Bodyguard, it's a movie guaranteed to get you laid. And uh, so, yeah, that's why you should hang on to uh, this movie. So there you go, dear listener. <laughs> Those are my and our thoughts. Um, I don't think that's true, actually. My wife was very bored by this. She got the pottery scene done and was ready to go on with her day. Oh, yeah. came back two hours later and was like, you're still watching this? Like, yeah, it's a long movie. I'm sorry. She's like, I knew. I remember this being too long. <laughs> Fair enough. What do I know? Um, well, Dalton, um, tell us about social media. I suppose I could. Um, hi. I'm going to try to do this quickly uh, because I don't want to be made fun of by Arthur and Dustin. Uh, we are on Twitter at Good Trash Media. That's right. The handle has changed. We are at Good Trash Media. You can find everything we're doing for this show as well as the shows that people we like make. Uh, the 
uh, Praise Down with Heath and Alex, uh, The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade. Uh, Dan's got a huge get. Uh, I think I'm allowed to spoil it. Uh, he's got Connor Ratliff, uh, which is probably a name that means nothing to the two of you. I'm not sure. If it's, it's not of, Randy Newman, I yeah, don't care. It's kind of a con- God, if only. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you know comedy, you probably know the name Connor Ratliff. Uh, so he's coming up on the Wheel of Randy, which is very tight. Uh, congrats to Dan. Um, Heath and Alex just had a uh, two-parter um, with uh, the uh, guest Lindy Mack, uh, who hosts the improv comedy show. Uh, Hello Out There, which is a uh, post-apocalypse podcast, uh, is is the setting. Um, I have an episode that I did. I was ve- it was very fun. It's not out yet, but uh, probably by the time you hear this, it might be. Uh, and Alex has one. So if you want to check that out, uh, people you already... If you're a fan of Good Trash Podcasts, uh, if you like me, if you like Alex, we've uh, guested on Hello Out There. Uh, big recommendation on that one. It's a very, very funny show. I listened to a lot of it to, to prep for going on. Um, but uh, Lindy Mack, uh, one of the co-hosts of that show, was just on The Praise Down two weeks in a row. Uh, great episodes, uh, really interesting stuff about DC Talk. Uh, yeah, we're, they're, they're covering uh, always something interesting on The Praise Down. Did I tell you guys they did a Mac and Me episode? That's funny. You guys remember Mac and Me? I remember Mac and Me, yeah. Yeah, we watched three or four episodes of Mac and Me uh, nice. in, the, in the Discord server. I'd forgotten how much of it I remembered, is what I'll say. Uh, God, what a weird... What a weird program. Uh, so anyway, at Good Trash Media, if you want to stay up to date on all the podcasts that are coming out, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, the standard deal. You've listened to a podcast before. Uh, we're not on Spotify, but we're on pretty much everything else. You can find us over on the, the Podbean if you want to listen to the actual feed. Stitcher, Apple Podcast, blah, 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 blah. That shit's boring. Uh, you go over to Patreon, though, uh, patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to help us keep the lights on. Uh, with uh, the three of us, vaccinated and breathing each other's air we should probably be able to get you <sighs> whiff it in boys uh ooh, i miss these smells uh if you uh stay up to date though uh at patreon.com forward slash gtm we should be able to uh, catch up on our, our bonus content pretty soon i'm hoping uh but uh, there's all kinds of fun rewards outside of the bonus content we'll send you stuff we'll let you pick stuff uh, we don't really need your money though you know uh, you don't have to we like that the show's free that's kind of the whole thing uh, we like that there's no ads. Uh, that, that's sort of our deal. Um, but again, if you want to help out, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM. And one more time, at Good Trash Media if you want to follow us on Twitter. And that's really all the social media that bears mentioning. I guess, uh, oh, if you if you got an email, uh, you know, that's burning uh, your fingertips, uh, it's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Now, we are done. Arthur, was that was that too long? I'll I'll let you know later. Oh God, I didn't time you. It was like three and a half, probably. Yeah, probably. It wasn't. I think it was well over. Yeah, shit. You're a monster. Well, redeem me. Tell the nice folks at home what we're going to be doing next week. Well, next week, we invite you to join us for a very special affair. Oh, we want you to meet our family, consider our lifestyle, and join us as we start a new marathon entitled "Welcome to the Family," and we begin by meeting the children of the corn. Nice. Is this a are you going to tell us what the gist of the marathon is this week? Is is it all spooky children movies? It's cult movies, boys. Just oh cults. hell yeah, yes. dude! Oh, this no, is going to be a fun marathon. Children of the Damned coming up. Kirsty Alley. Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn. Not not Children of the Damned. Different movie. Village of the Damned. Village of the Damned. That's right. Uh, Village of the Corn. <laughs> yeah, sure. Village of the Corn next week. Uh, we'll be talking about Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking about Twisted Transistor. We'll be talking about Free Connolly. <laughs> <laughs> all right corn with a k yeah yeah you keep watching we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time